Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by the super cool, customized camper van company, Dream Drive. Spring is coming. Why not rent a camper van and explore more of Japan in comfort and style? Now and Zen is also sponsored by the Gugu Mattress Company. Super comfortable and very affordable. Nothing better than a great night's sleep with a Gugu Mattress. Discount codes available later in the podcast. And finally, Now in Zen is brought to you by Dale Carnegie Japan. Now is the best time for professional self-improvement. Enhance your business presentations, upgrade your selling skills, be an effective leader, or just become a more confident public speaker. Started in 1912 in New York, Dale Carnegie has been boosting results for both individuals and organizations in Japan for 60 years. You know, no one is born with superior business skills. These are developed through experience and education. So, make the best investment ever the investment in yourself. Contact Dale Carnegie Japan at their website, njapan.dalecarnegie.com. Improve your future with the leaders in soft skills training. Dale Carnegie Japan. everyone, this episode I speak with the founder of Thrive Tokyo, Miss Catherine Gronauer. She is a cross-cultural trainer and coaching entrepreneur here in Tokyo. It's a perfect fit for her as she has grown up in a bicultural environment her whole life. This episode you will learn about the most common cultural frustrations newcomers to Tokyo face and how Catherine helps out with these many challenges. She explains how to best balance that fine line for foreigners who want to culturally localize while staying true to their own personality and style. As a young entrepreneur, we discuss self-branding and how she effectively markets her services, how her early start in health coaching led to the foundation of Thrive Tokyo, then a deep dive into the mystery of Japanese communication styles and the oh crap moment when she landed her first big corporate client. True confessions from a cross-cultural trainer and business coach. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Katherine Gronauer. Katherine, cheers. Cheers, yes. Nice to meet you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is coming from Ivy Place in Daikanyama. Delicious food and great craft beer. My guest today is Katherine Gronauer. She's the founder of Thrive Tokyo. She helps foreigners live, work, and, well, thrive in Japan through cross-cultural training, orientation programs, and private coaching. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I have to ask, how's business? Is it thriving? Oh, yes. Actually, I'm really busy right now. Which is kind of a surprise, I guess, because uh, ever since COVID started, you know, there was a lot of companies that were originally having some budget freezes. But on the flip side, I've had companies think ahead and they're thinking, oh, no, we're having a lot of people who are coming into the country. Let's start doing remote training for people who are abroad. So, yeah, things have been doing really well. That's fantastic. Thrive Tokyo, you started five years ago. I got to be honest with you. I never heard of you or your business until about six months ago. Okay. And maybe it's because I clicked on something, but now I see you everywhere. Yes. On LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I hear you on podcasts. I mm -hmm. see you in almost every social media platform. Is that something I did or is that something you're doing? 
Maybe it's a combination of the two. I've been doing online marketing for a while though, but I would say in terms of podcasts, I've been on some uh, more recently. So let me just back backtrack. Five years ago, I actually didn't start as Thrive Tokyo. I was on a completely different other name, and I was looking primarily to get into health coaching. So say that again. You were doing health coaching. I was doing health coaching. Health so coaching. I actually started my business as a health coach, and my primary aim was to help people with wellness and weight loss. In the process of doing that, I realized that a lot of people here in Japan don't know how to shop for groceries. So I was like, okay, that's kind of a little bit more of a foundational issue here. And also, just in the process of doing coaching, I was finding that the primary stressors was, you know, around culture, cultural assimilation. And so I found myself having a lot more conversations around just trying to get used to living in Japan and、yeah. trying to, you know, find your career and your purpose here too. So the Thrive Tokyo thing kind of came into play, I would say, in probably around two, a little over two years ago. And I was like, you know what? Let me just pivot here、sure. and take a different direction. So I just started expanding or kind of customizing the programs I was doing, and it was really going in the direction of helping people with, you know, cross-cultural related, you know, workplace issues, or also just trying to live in Japan. And so that's how the orientation and the cross-cultural training came into play. Yeah. And that was essentially the evolution of my business. That makes sense.、Mm -hmm. Do you still incorporate health coaching into your current business? I definitely do, and I would say it's because when I first started a business, I wanted to help. You know, I wanted to help the individual with their work-life balance and with nutrition coming into play and, and those types of things. And so I feel like even when I'm approaching things like cross-cultural training or orientation, at the end of the day, it's like, well, how do you feel about this, or how is this impacting your life, or you know, your stress levels, or、right. you know, things like that. But I would say, in terms of talking about nutrition specifically, I don't do it as much as I had done in the early stages of my、right. business.、Um, I actually wrote a book about nutrition, and I feel like that. Being able to write the book kind of gave me closure. I feel like I had a lot of things in my mind that I really wanted to share with people, and it was it was hard to switch into cross cultural training because I was like, no, you know, I started with this mission of doing health and wellness, and so for me, you know, that kind of gave a good closure and and enabled me to kind of get into、yeah. into other things that I could help people with. Yeah. Did a lot of people ask you why are Japanese so thin? Yeah, people ask that a lot. What do you say? Well, you know, it's a combination of things. I mean, in Tokyo specifically, people tend to walk a lot more. That's definitely a big, a, a big thing for it. But I would say that the people who eat the traditional type of teishoku style、yep. of eating, which has a little bit of everything, they're getting a, a much more well-balanced diet compared to people who are in the states, for example, might be approaching diet only from looking at specific things. Whereas in Japan, you might have a little bit of everything. So you're getting a little bit of protein, but you're also getting in much Wider variety of things that you would need for your diet, but having said that, though, <laughs> and the portions, <laughs> and the portions, the portions、yeah. are also there too. Right. But you know, everybody has a different experience when they come here. Some people say, "Oh, I thought Japanese people were really healthy, but all I see are rice and noodles and you know fried food." Which, if you're if you're only eating out all the time and and just grabbing random bento boxes, that could be the case. But on the flip side, there are a lot more opportunities for health and wellness here. Uh, too that people can learn from, and I think the teishoku is kind of the start of that adventure. Yeah, I know what you mean. Anytime I meet somebody that does this cross-cultural training, orientations, this type of business, I always find fascinating. Do you focus more on business people that are trying to kind of figure out the lay of the land, 
or do you also deal with spouses of business people here that yeah. are just trying to you know acclimatize because they're yeah. here because of their spouse you know it's been a combination of both but i would say that whenever i've done b2c work it's all a lot of those people tend to be spouses but i also have people who are in business as well but then whenever I do B2B, they usually don't include the spouse in oh. trainings. Okay. So on the B2B side, it's definitely been for professionals. Which do you find more prevalent? The cultural struggles or is it the emotional struggles here? Ooh, I definitely think it starts with cultural struggles and then it segues into emotional struggles. So I would say that the emotional struggles is a culmination of a lot of little mini cultural struggles. Yeah. One leads into the other. Makes sense. One big cultural difference frustration I often hear is around communication styles. Mm -hmm. The nonverbal, the culturally implied, not getting to the point. Mm -hmm. Is this also something you find with your clients as well? And if so, how do you deal with this? Yeah, so this one is definitely something that comes up a lot. And I think what's interesting is, you know, the people who are in multicultural teams, a lot of them don't have English as a native, they're not native English speakers either not just Japanese being vague in English, but it's also a lot of other people who are using English as their second language also trying to understand what's happening. And there's no clarity in the verbal language. So I'd say one of the things that's been helpful for a lot of people is trying to ask open-ended questions instead of close or instead of yes or no questions. Okay. So the point of coming from a, a culture where people are very direct with verbal language is that yes and no is very clear. But in a culture like Japan, where yes and no is very vague, you don't want to ask more and more yes or no questions. Yeah. And I think people start to get frustrated because they're not hearing yes or no, so they try to ask more yes or no questions. <laughs> like, just tell me, what is it? Just get to the point, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, is it yeah. yes, is it no, is it this way, is it that way? When you're asking open-ended questions, you're allowing the other person to share more details about you know, how they're thinking. So something very simple, like, can I have the report finished by three o'clock? That's yes or no question. Say, how soon will the report be ready? Then all of a sudden they can reveal more details. Like, oh, I have these many things left to do. I think the earliest could be five. Or, you know, there could be, you know, different elements that come into that uh, right. response. Yeah. Do you so. ever get into that high context, low context discussion about communication? Yes, we do. <laughs> I would yeah. say that's probably a... Probably one of, out of all the different things you could talk about for culture, I'd say the communication aspect right. is probably the, the biggest one people have a question mark about. Yeah, so low context, high context. In Japanese, there's, there's almost like code words, right? Yes. The words difficult, muzukashi, and kibishi, yeah. those are basic code words for no. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's where the struggle comes for when Japanese people are speaking in English is because they're trying to translate from Japanese to English right. what they want to say, but how they're talking in Japanese is different. Muzukashi might mean it's difficult from a literal translation, but essentially what they're saying is no, yeah. but they don't think to say no flat yeah. out yeah. when they are speaking in English. You know, I had a funny example. The phrase, mai muki ni kento shimasu. Mm -hmm. I'll think about it in a positive, positive way. Positive moving forward, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is basically saying no, right? It's a space-saving mm -hmm. phrase. I've been in meetings where I actually did really want to consider it before I made my decisions, and so I've always said in Japanese, 
I really mean this when I say this. I'm not blowing、yeah. you off, but really, my muki ni joto kento shimas. I really like your proposal,、mm-hmm. but I really need to think about it. And、mm-hmm. so I actually use that phrase, but I, I prefaced it with, "This、yeah. is not a blow off." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some other common themes that you come across? Oh, it's interesting. I would say that the themes are kind of predictable. People always talk about communication, so you know, I don't really understand if someone's saying yes or no. Like I'm,、right. I'm kind of unclear about that. Also, I would say meetings is another. Thing. One guy recently. Meetings, you mean like meetings. internal just, company meetings? Yeah, there's just way too many meetings. Right. There's so many meetings in Japan. And、uh, one guy was saying, like, if there's no conclusion to a meeting, it's just a chat. So he feels like people are just having lots and lots of chats. Nothing is coming out of the meeting. There's no conclusion. There's no next step.、Right. And I think that's what people are trying to figure out. It's like, if I'm going to be in a meeting, I need to know do I need to be there? And if I need to be there, what am I Bringing to the meeting, and also, what am I taking away from the meeting? You know, what do I have to do during the meeting? What am I taking away from the meeting? These、yeah. are the the questions people have going into it. The, the meeting styles and structures here are just very different. Yeah, the, I had a podcast、yeah. with the author Michael Howard of the Salary Man,、mm. and he has a whole chapter in his book about meetings. Yes, <laughs> meetings in Japan. Yes, For sure. You know what I think is amazing though is I'm always surprised at how much stress these things bring people. It's like oh, there's meetings, 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 and I'm like, wow, that's like a, it's just so so these, stressful. These people, these people, meaning mean? the people who I'm doing the training with,、oh, okay. so the foreigners who are new to Japan. A lot of them seem to always they're always pinpointing the meetings, and so I'm wondering, wow, it's just a real, it's a really big source of stress. Because they're uncomfortable with them, you mean? They're uncomfortable. They feel like they don't know what to do. They don't know why they're there. They don't know what to do after the meetings ended.、Yeah. They don't know what, like, what was the point of that meeting.、Yeah. And then when, because they feel uncomfortable from that scenario, the next time a meeting happens, they're already going into it, just、yeah. wondering like what they're going to get out of it. I work for a German company, so I have the opposite. Every meeting we have has an. In- Detailed list of who's responsible to res- reply and respond and answer for the next meeting on the topics that we discussed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Okay, so、uh, communication and meetings. Is there anything else? Communication meetings. I also like to talk about performance expectations too. Performance is like. People think that they're doing what they should be doing at work to get to the next level in their career progression, but then you know they might come across a performance review and find out that there there wasn't an alignment between their manager and themselves.、Mm. Um, or on the flip side, it could be someone who's a manager feels like their Japanese team member isn't performing the way they want to. Like they want them to take more ownership. They want them to stop asking so many questions and just be a problem solver、yeah. on their own. People are behaving according to how they they think is most appropriate at work. Managing expectations in Japan, the Japanese manager values input. More than output.、Mm. I came. I come from a sales background. So、mm-hmm. here's your target for the month. What、yeah. did you? What's your result? Well, I'm ahead of target. Three months in a row. Six months in a row. All year. I deserve a bonus. I deserve a raise. I deserve whatever is coming my way because、yeah. I did enough output. But in Japan, it's not so much about the output. A lot of times, it's how much input are、yeah. you in those meetings. 
Are you working overtime? Are you drinking with the boss after work? Is this do you is this that's correct? That's the that's the exact example <laughs> that I give to people. Oh really? Yeah, I usually oh, give wow. a so the profile is like a person who's a digital marketer who has exceeded targets beyond expectation, and then sitting in on on the meeting for the performance review and says, yeah, you know, I'm ready for the next challenge. I'm ready. For, you know, what else can you challenge me with? Like, yeah. let's go for that promotion. Let's go for that next step. And then they hear something like, wait, but you never came to any of our company nomikais you you didn't stay behind and help out your peers you know you didn't participate we're kind of concerned that you're not really showing any dedication you took paid vacations yeah exactly you took paid paid vacations yeah so um that's just a really big shock for people is to you know you don't want to if you're not setting the expectations early on in your relationship you don't want to end up two years into your position and then having that conversation and you realize that you weren't on the same page or that nobody had given you feedback to to say hey you know maybe you should attend because this is what we we value and this is what we're looking for one of the reasons why things like paying attention to detail and being really helpful to your team members is so important is because that's what they're looking for in a manager. So when when you when you do get to the next level, you need to be able to say that you have done the work well enough to be able to teach someone else how to do it. But isn't a lot yeah. of the Japanese work minarai? Isn't it just you're not teaching somebody, you're just following procedure on, on on the job training through osmosis in a way right right well i guess essentially what i mean is just making sure other people are following the procedure so if you're not following the procedure you probably aren't going to get other people to follow the procedure putting your hanko so. in the right location exactly I once started my own business and I remember the first client I got, that first signed contract yeah. and the sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first client for Thrive Tokyo? Oh, for Thrive Tokyo. Yes, I do. I do remember that. And it was a big, am I allowed to curse on this? <laughs> Absolutely. It was a big, oh shit moment. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Why is that? I think it's because when I was doing health coaching, so, you know, I started my business relatively young. I had a lot of imposter syndrome, I guess you could say. This concept of you're starting a business and you, you're knowledgeable, but charging somebody for the information you have is a really overwhelming thing to do. For example, someone could spend 20 years playing tennis. But if I say, hey, can you teach me how to play tennis? By the way, I'll pay you a hundred bucks for it. Also, it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on a second. I'm not a professional teacher. You know, like all those those right. elements come into play. And, you know, I think that was kind of the, the issue I had been facing when I was starting health coaching. But then when I switched to doing Thrive Tokyo and I was doing more corporate work, this was like a whole different ball yeah. game. And my first client was like this really huge global company. I was so excited to do it, but I was also like, whoa, like it was sure. just, it was just like, just a lot. There's just a lot. How did and it go? It went really well. They hired me again, <laughs> so which is a, yeah. a good sign that you did an okay job. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Well, nice. Well, that's perfect because it leads into another question I had. What you do is not easy. There are companies and people who have been here a long time with similar services. Some might say that you don't have enough experience Mm -hmm. or haven't been in Japan long enough, but I think this is your advantage. I believe you can better relate to Mm -hmm. newcomers to Japan on their level. As for real life experience, Mm -hmm. you grew up in the US and your mom is Japanese. 
So yeah. you've probably been in a cultural tug of war your whole life. Oh yeah. To address the question of, you know, you're kind of new to the game compared to a lot of people who've been in this industry for a couple decades. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been half Japanese for a few decades. So, right. <laughs> so yeah. Talk about real life experience there and growing up with literally dealing with cultural related topics. You know, pretty much on a daily basis uh, between my parents, understanding culture, just having grown up with it. Um, what was the other aspect of this question that you had? <laughs> it was more of a comment in that yeah. I, I think that it's great that you're young yeah. and you do have the experience because, like yeah. you just said, because you grew up in that culture. Well, you know, okay, so here's the other part to that is I am a millennial, and a lot of the people who are working in these companies are millennials. Great They're point. They're people who are either people who are single or people who are just starting their family, or maybe people who have, like, a, a child who's in elementary, middle school yeah. around that. And so I feel like there's a lot of relatability there. Yeah. I feel like maybe the language I yeah. use, how I communicate with people is more approachable. How you market say. yourself, too. Yeah, my clients are, you know, who I'm, people I'm talking to are definitely have a couple generations ahead of me, but the people who I'm actually interacting with and the end user are definitely people who I can relate to um, on a personal basis. Yeah, that's what I mean by you being yeah. able to communicate on their level. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would say that comes into it. But you are also asking, there's another part of this question you had, which was that cross-cultural training doesn't seem to be, it's hard to market is what you said. What, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did say that. What I mean is selling services in Japan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is not easy because services don't you don't have a, a, a market thing. price right mm -hmm. I have a good friend of mine he's a photographer and so many people say hey you know so-and-so would you come to my wedding and take photos like it like it's a hobby like he would love to just go to their wedding yes. and take photos for fun and then they get these photos right he's like yeah, yeah I'd be happy to do your wedding but it's gonna cost yeah. it what what you, you charge for that right, <laughs> right? right. So I would say on that note, though, the hardest thing about trying t about marketing cross-cultural training is definitely the timing of it. For example, if I'm talking to someone who has just come to Japan, they are in what we call the honeymoon phase of being in Japan. So they don't feel like they have a problem yet. And the people I've worked with from a B2C standpoint, they usually come to me two, three, four years after being in Japan, after they've already had a problem. So it's, I feel like multainai, as we would say in Japanese, is like, oh gosh, it's such a shame. If only I had met this person as soon as they had, had arrived, I would have prevented them from having so many culture-related issues. Right. You know, the flip side is that some companies do offer relocation services, and so they feel like that's enough. Like, okay, the person's come to Japan, we've set them up in their apartment, we've done the initial workshop, they're good to go. The problems that people might face are not happening or emerging until six months into the game. You know, three months, six months, 12 months in, that's when people start to have things like culture shock or cross-cultural related issues. Yeah. yeah, I would say like the timing is definitely a really, is a big uh, challenge there is, you know, trying to show companies you need help beyond just getting someone into Japan or just meeting someone who's an individual and they're like, oh yeah, Japan's great. Everybody's so polite. I love it here. And then you meet them like three years later and they're like, where have you been all my life? You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So That's interesting. I, I do this thing on my podcast called the free unsolicited business idea, but I just came with another idea right now while you were talking. Ooh. Ooh. The cross-cultural insurance. Probably <laughs> there are some expats that maybe come to Japan yeah. and they get too culturally blown away. And after a year or maybe two years, 
they want just want to leave. So what you say to the company is, hiring me is cross-cultural insurance. Oh, I love so that. <laughs> I will do the cross-cultural training now mm -hmm. so you don't have problems in the future. Oh my goodness, I love that word. I was trying to, I was experimenting with other words too because, you know, at some point, like, you know, starting with coaching and then going into cross-cultural stuff, some people are like, well, what, what is it that you do, Catherine? There was definitely a point in there where there was a lot of confusion. And I was like, you know what? I think the one word that kind of encompasses everything is onboarding. Because onboarding really shows it's happening from the point when someone starts working and it's going, it, it's basically helping someone transition into the workspace or where they're going to be working and living. Companies, it's like they have the headache later. It's like, oh no, because right. by, the, by the time someone decides that, someone tells HR that they don't want to be here anymore, it's really hard to try to convince them to stay. They've already convinced themselves that it, this is not the place for them and that they have to leave or their spouse has decided to leave. You would rather be a cross-cultural <laughs> consultant now than yeah. a therapist later. Than a therapist later. Or basically what's happening is they're they're providing people with relocation and then they're basically sending people to therapy three years later. That's <laughs> what's yeah. happening and there's no in-between. But I like that, that word for insurance. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We all know getting a great sleep is important, and this is what Goo Goo is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Goo Goo. Better sleep better you. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. For foreigners working in Japan, there's a fine line between trying to culturally localize yourself and keeping true to your own identity. Japanese don't expect you to be, nor do they want you to be Japanese. But it also doesn't help yourself to be like the typical gaijin. So what is that fine line between yeah. localizing yourself and staying true to yourself? That is that is the million dollar question. Oh, is it? <laughs> I would say so. To some extent, people want to be aware or at least have some sensitivity to the culture here so that they can acclimate. One of the thing one of the key words I hear from people is that they want to blend in. Whenever I hear someone new who wants to do cross-cultural training like privately, they're like, oh, I want to figure out how to blend into the culture. And like blend in, that's a very interesting word choice. Yeah. Because, well, at least physically, they're not going to blend in unless they're coming maybe from another part of Asia. And in some cases, I've heard people refer to themselves as ghost foreigners so they can blend in to being with Japanese people physically. Why do they want to blend in? You know, I think it's because people are self-conscious basically. So you don't want to do anything wrong because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. 
and people are already drawing attention to themselves just by not looking Japanese, right? So, you know, walking into the store, people are looking at you or, you know, you're spending 30 minutes trying to decide which one is soy sauce and which one is yaki- <laughs> yakiniku sauce or something like that. And people are looking at you. So like, it goes both ways, too. Right. There's usually, you know, the, the foreigner is kind of worried about how to ask for something. And then the Japanese person is also worried about how to respond to it. So, yeah, yeah it definitely goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. I saw on your website you referenced six different Japanese culture values. Mm -hmm. Could you share a couple of these? Yeah, so what I mean by that is just uh, simple concepts like senpai kohai. Okay. So senpai kohai relationships. Yeah, and hierarchy. It could be things like hōrenso. So that's type of a concept related to reporting. Hōkoku renakusodan. Spinach. Spinach, yeah. yeah. The concept of reporting styles, and that's yeah. one reason why people, you're, you know, you get CC'd into all of these emails, or people are asking you for approval on things. It seems like permission, but what they're actually doing is just checking in with you before they they do a procedure. Yeah. Very connected to collectivism sure. uh, related decision making. Nobody likes surprises. Yeah, nobody likes surprises. So making sure that everybody's kept in the loop, and that's a very big part of that. So the I'm Kohai, why the Kohai a- Senpai is good. Senpai Kohai, it's interesting because it really, there's just so many things you can get from Senpai Kohai. I mean, you you mentioned like the nail that gets hammered in, for example, and conformity. I think that the biggest question is how do people hold each other accountable, right? Because there's so many regulations and procedures here and you see people following them, but something that, you know, people might not necessarily agree with outside of Japan, they'll just be like, oh, I'll just bend this rule. It's not, not a big deal. But here, like, why do people follow through? Why, why is the follow through there? And I think it's really connected to that concept of senpai kohai. And, and language itself. is important as well. I think foreigners get a bit of a free pass mm-hmm. with that because we're not expected to really understand the honorific or the keigo and how it relates to yeah. the uh, mm-hmm. kohai senpai relationship. There's not a lot of swear words in Japan like we have in English. But how you insult people is by using the improper kohai senpai type language, right? It's interesting because it's almost people are using the language in a way to be so polite to each other to the point where if you communicate it in a what we what people outside of Japan would consider a normal way, it might actually be considered insulting. Right. Catherine, I really admire how you are marketing and branding yourself. You are really out there on social media, getting numerous interviews. Your website is great with a lot of testimonials and very important endorsements. How did you learn about using the media and personal branding? I think I just learned by doing. <laughs> yeah. What happened was in the early stages of my business when I was doing health coaching, I didn't necessarily want to be physically in Japan. I, I, I wanted to think, okay, what if I had a mobile business? You know, that was a that was a big buzzword. Okay, I, which wait, I think wait, it wait. Still you, is, you know? Let's be honest. Yeah. You wanted to be in the Bahamas. I did. And I you like, wanted to be really chilling sad. on the beach and then go back to your little suite and then and then do a, a video chat for thirty minutes and call it a day. Yeah, you got me all figured out here. <laughs> That's exactly what I had on my mind I was I like I was like why not you know you know have a mobile business it, you know because being an international person and at that stage of my life I was like what if other things change I was really kind of sold on the idea of having an online business which actually by the way really helped for the COVID time because I had already been using Zoom for like years before people even knew <laughs> what the platform was yeah. so yeah I started everything online and where was I going with this uh personal branding 
So uh, the first thing I realized was I, I wanted to somehow, I wanted to share my ideas, which was a lot of the Eastern and Western forms of health and nutrition. And I wanted to share and I was like, where can I share this idea? And I decided to look into publications. So things like Huffington Post and Women's Health Magazine and how can I get known on these particular platforms? And so I reached out to them and I did a pitch and I was accepted to, to oh. write for those publications. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, at least here in Japan, there's a, a publication called Savvy. Oh yeah, I know Savvy. Yeah, so Savvy was reaching out to me to do more writing. And so um, I really got kind of heavily into writing and because I was so involved with the writing aspect, um, I was also learning about just social media marketing in yeah. general and how to do strategy and how to think about what you're going to be posting consistently and what is your messaging and all of those yeah. those elements. So it's, yeah. There's I think a formula part of, for sure. Yeah. There is. And like part of starting a business, it's like a, a very big deep dive into learning about branding and things like yeah. that. So, well, yeah. Good. Congratulations. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You know, you're quite the cross-cultural expert when it comes to definitely Americans and Japanese. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. What happens when a client hires you mm-hmm. and they're Spanish or yeah. they're Chinese, you know, some other culture that's yeah. pretty distinctive but not American? What do you do yeah. in those cases? Oh, well, I don't. I wouldn't say that I've been hired in a situation where it's specifically from one culture. Most of the time it's been multicultural scenarios. In those cases, just having like group shares initially when we talk about things like cultural dimensions. So I'm sure you're familiar with topics like Hofstede. Hofstede? I have no idea. I have no idea what that is. Okay, well I'll enlighten enlighten me. Come on. Yes. Okay. So once upon a time there was a man named Hofstede. He was like, how am I going to compare and contrast cultures against each other? Because there's just too many things that you can possibly learn from different cultures and have to memorize. So for example, if we're talking about communication, there's low context and high context cultures. The the topic or the dimension is communication. And there's other dimensions that we can compare and contrast. And that would be things like how are decisions made? Mm -hmm. So is it based on consensus? Is it more egalitarian? There's also the corporate structure in terms of hierarchy. Are are decisions and communication happening more in a flat organizational structure? The perception of time. Perception of time is another thing that comes into play. Sure. Here in Japan, if you're turning on your computer at 9 a.m., you're late. Right. <laughs> like you should have done that like way before the right. start time. So just using these core topics that we can use to compare and contrast cultures. And by compare and contrast, I mean really like weighing them against each other. Basically, if I'm if I'm talking to people who have who are from multicultural backgrounds, we can use that before getting into the training about Japan to help them understand where they their perspective is mm-hmm. before talking about Japan. And also they can share with each other yeah. where they stand. So some of them might have values that are closer to Japanese values and some might have them you know, completely polar. Just having them understand that they're in a multicultural situation to start with. And then on top of that, we're adding yeah. Japan into the mix. Yeah. So, so Hofstetter, is this a person that, yeah, this that, is a person. that came up with all this yes, stuff? Yes, this is a person who came up with this concept. And there's also another woman named Erin Meyer who has a book called The Culture Map. Yeah. 
You offer a membership subscription service. You yes. call it the Accelerator. Accelerator. Yeah. What is it and who is it geared towards? Yes, that is a new platform. Basically, it has all of the content that I typically do in an orientation. I put it into video format inside the platform. The concept behind the Accelerator itself is that Sometimes when I meet people when they first arrive, if I do an orientation program, it is just information overload. It's like way right. too many things for yeah. people to remember. And in some cases, some of the elements they might not need for three to six months. So for example, like a topic like going to the post office. I remember there was a woman who said to me that she was so proud of herself for going to the post office, you know, like making the trip to the post office and sending out that letter. And, you know, because she, she was really worried that she was going to ask for something and didn't know, like, how it was going to go. At that point, she had been in Japan for maybe a year and a half. And so I was like, you know, how can I offer something to people where they get the information they need when they actually need it yeah. in a place where it's all, all in one? And they can also ask questions, too, within the platform. And yeah. so I, I thought, why not do kind of like a subscription type of platform where they can just pay as you go and access what you need and then also interact with, yeah. uh, with other people. So the concept behind that is, you know, in the future when I do more onboarding sequences, what I would love to do is to have group training that happens on a regular basis. And it doesn't matter if, you know, if company A has only one person who's just arrived and company B has three people who has arrived, those companies maybe not don't feel that they have the budget to do a full training just for only one, one to three people. They could essentially just pay, you know, an individual rate and I could host the trainings all on one platform and just have it recurring. One company might have 20 people coming in a year, but if they only have two people coming in at a time, oh, they, need, yeah, they need the training at different times, and it, you don't want to wait for everybody to be there all at the same time because some people might have already missed out on what they needed or it's right. too much for another person. So. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Do you do all of the master class? I'm using air finger quotes here. <laughs> do you do all the master classes yourself, or do you also sometimes ask other experts to kind of weigh in and record a video yeah. with them as well? It's a combination of the two. So I actually have a section called master classes and I've been inviting guests to come. So for example, financial advisory company came on and gave a master class about getting started with investments in Japan and how they can get started with it. And then if they want to, they can reach out directly to that company or at least they have the, the info yep. that they need to get started. Cool. Okay, this one is the free unsolicited business idea. Okay. This yeah. is the official one. The official I've given, one. I've given you like two that just popped up. I think you gave me like four. I don't honestly. know. Honestly. This one I call the Thrive Series. So you like writing. You have one book already. How about writing a series of books, each one focused on a specific topic, which Thrive Tokyo is already advising on? For example, like Thrive in Japanese Workplace or how to thrive in your first 90 days in Japan, health and nutrition for thriving every day, etc. Mm -hmm. This is your content accelerator. You can sell these books individually. You can include these as a bonus for using your service or signing up with your membership. And as you write each chapter, you can use this content for your weekly blog or your social media updates. So it's content short-term to long-term, and it's sales and value add to your services. Ooh, very nice. It's the Thrive series. Yeah, that's a good point. I have 
I have a lot of content, or I feel like I've been talking about things so much <laughs> on a regular basis, that yeah, it would be nice to just kind of package it into into book. Why not? Have you thought about writing more books? I definitely want to. One thing I really like to write about is I like to write story. Like, I like stories or storytelling. Whereas, you know, when I'm doing training, it's more like, okay, here, here are the situations, here are the case studies, yeah. here's the kind of common scenario you can come across. But when I was writing about my book, Confessions of a Yo-Yo Dieter, it was really about, like, the raw feelings or experience that you have when you're dealing with frustration or in a certain type of situation. So... I think if I if I did go into writing another book, I would probably want to highlight some type of personal experience or sure. something in them. If I did do something like uh, you know cross cultural training or yeah. something related to that, then maybe it would be using like elements of childhood upbringing and scenarios mm-hmm. that I've yeah. come across and and highlighting that. Make it a fictional story, mm-hmm. you know, like so and so came to Tokyo and he had like dreams and aspirations of fame and fortune. Yeah. However, in his first meeting, yep. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, you could story tell it that way. Oh, yeah. I do that with my uh, newsletters. <laughs> Sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. What's your favorite Japanese word that doesn't have a direct English translation? I feel like the times when I find Japanese convenient compared to English is when there's words to describe like a feeling or a sensation that you just can't really describe in, in English. Like, yeah. you know, yesterday my friend said that my hair looks very sarasara, you know, like sara, it's sara. smooth that's, and that's, shiny. That's a gitai Yeah, gitai So any, anything related to that. I feel like those are, those are words where... Even when I'm speaking in English, I'm just like, right. gosh, like I wish that there was this, this so you, word for it. You just mentioned you're hungry, so you're peco peco. Peco peco. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Brendan. Yes. I want to introduce you to Catherine. She is the founder of Thrive Japan. And this is a guy you need to know because here at Ivy Place in Daikanyama, they get a lot of foreigners here. Everyone speaks English here. The atmosphere, atmosphere here is very cosmopolitan, international. So... He comes across a lot of people that could use your services. Absolutely. Call me. <laughs> yeah. So later, give him a few of your business cards and he'll pass them out to, to people that need some, some help in their initial Japan journey. This is the answer. Well, Catherine, thank you very much for your time today. Yes. Thrive Tokyo is your website. I urge everyone to check it out. Even if you've been here in Japan for a long time, there's a lot to learn from you. So thank you very much, and uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. So, yeah, I feel like we've really covered a, a lot. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> and that was Catherine Gronauer, cross-cultural trainer, corporate coach, and wellness consultant. Learn more about Catherine and the many valuable services she offers at thrivetokyo.com. In addition, you can also connect with Catherine on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to another episode of Now and Zen. If you found the past 42 minutes valuable, worthwhile, or entertaining, please leave a positive rating or comment on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Have a great day and catch you next time. Bye, everyone.